1930, a boy was born and given the name Edward. His grandparents were Armenian. It has nothing to do with their theology. They were immigrants that had survived brutal abuse in the country of Turkey. And in an amazing story of God's gracious providence, Edward became a professor of history and ended up teaching thousands of students over a career that, exp- that was 50-plus years. Edward was brought up in a strict home where his father was always to be obeyed, a home where the children feared their father's wrath. During his childhood days, he would often walk to school. Along the route, there was a candy shop where you could get a good supply for two or three pennies. He chose poorly, and he began a pattern of stealing coins from his mother's purse to buy candy on the way to school. His mother became aware of her son's transgressions and told Edward's father. Nothing was said immediately, but many days later, his mom and his siblings were away from home visiting with neighbors. Edward and his father were home alone, and his father instructed him to go to the basement to retrieve a piece of wood. Edward thought they were about to start some kind of wood project, but when Edward and his dad went upstairs to the boy's room, Edward soon realized that he was the project. But not as he thought, or as we might think. His dad said, I'm going to kneel by your bed, and I want you to take this wood and to strike my back with it as hard as you can. Edward protested, adamantly. But his dad insisted. So Edward, who was now in tears at this point, submitted. His dad said, do it again. Edward repeatedly strikes his father as instructed. Finally, after many blows, his dad said, that's enough. His dad sat on the bed with his son and said, now Edward, I want you to know that what you just did to me did not hurt me half as much That's how you hurt me when I heard what you had done. Don't ever steal again. And now, as in 80 years later, Edward doesn't steal. Edward's father transferred the weight of his son's sin from his son to himself. His father was bruised for the iniquities of his son. His father served as a successful substitute and experienced punishment that brought Edward peace. The text that we take up this morning is perhaps the clearest passage in all of the scriptures in explaining how God deals with our sin via a substitute. Would you please locate Isaiah chapter 52 in your copy of the scriptures? You can find it on page 521 of the Pew copy of the Scriptures. Isaiah is part of the Christian Old Testament. As you find your spot, I want to remind you that we are taking six communion Sundays to consider one of the servant songs here in the book of Isaiah. In this book of Isaiah, there are four songs about the servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ. They are much like psalms. Uh, that we read uh, in the Psalter. These four songs in the book of Isaiah are found in chapter 42, 49, 50, and then here in chapter 52 through 53. 
It's this last song in 52 and 53 that we are considering over six communion Sundays in 2019. This song has, has five stanzas, if you will. We've already looked at chapter 52, verses 13 through 15, and considering the astonishing suffering servants. Last time we looked at the first three verses of chapter 53 and considered the rejected suffering servants. Today our task is to take up the successful suffering servants, and then later this year we will consider the innocence of the suffering servants and the sufficiency of the suffering servants. Before I read, let me remind you about the timing of this servant song. Isaiah is speaking about a, a future day near the end of history. It's a day that, that is thousands of years after Christ's crucifixion. In fact, it's a day that is still future for us today. He was, it, was, it was a time where they would look back at Christ's death and ahead to Christ's return. So this song was actually a lament of repentance by the people of Israel. Follow along, please, as I read from Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men, so shall he sprinkle many nations, the kings shall shut their mouths at him. That which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our reports? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we shall desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich his death, because he has done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great 
and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He is astonishing. He was rejected. And now, and perhaps the best-known stanza of this song in verses 4 through 6, we see that the suffering servant is successful as a substitute. Isaiah prophesies that Israel will eventually, eventually realize why God's servant had to suffer in such humiliation. And we must regularly acknowledge this as well. You have gone astray. The healing that you need and the peace that you want are only available through the suffering servant of the Lord. Before we come to the table then, we will consider the suffering servant's success as a burdened substitute, as a complete substitute, and as a chosen substitute. The suffering servant is successful as a burdened substitute. This is where we will spend the bulk of our time this morning. This third stanza of the song begins with the word, surely. It means without a doubt. It communicates a sudden recognition of something totally unexpected. Aha! Generation after generation of Jews since Christ's first coming have assumed that Christ's death was proof. It, it proved that he was a nobody, that his career actually ended in a failure. The Jewish people considered Christ to be stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God. That Christ was being abandoned by God because of his own failures. Here, Isaiah prophesies that one day Israel will be awakened and confess that Christ is indeed their Messiah. And that's why he, we begin this, this, this stanza with, surely, that's the surprise. That's the aha moment, if you will, still yet to come when the light bulb finally comes on. But it's not only surprise that Israel will experience. Israel will also experience dismay. Because at that point, still yet to come, they will be reminded of the immense burden that the Messiah bore. On that day, still in our future, Israel will look back with dismay, and they will lament, surely He has borne our griefs and our sorrows. Surely, yes, He bore the weight of our sin. The Messiah was weighed down, oppressed, far beyond what we can possibly comprehend. All three verses of that stanza speak to it. Speaks of our griefs and sorrows, broad terms that can mean sickness or suffering or infirmity or calamity. Given the context, Isaiah is talking about all the griefs and sorrows that come as a result of our sins. It might be tempting to, to kind of consider this verse and uh, he bore our, our griefs and our sorrows and to, to think about the fact that we have a sympathetic high priest. And no doubt we do have a sympathetic high priest, but even more astounding than his sympathy is that he took our sin and all of the, the, the effects of our sin upon him, even though he himself was perfectly innocent of any wrongdoing. These griefs and sorrows are the problems that come as a result of our sin. 
so we could think about the griefs and sorrows, namely like our guilt for sin, the death that comes as a result of our sin. We all have guilt for our sin, and he bore that for his people. When Isaiah says that the suffering servant has borne our sin, our griefs, and our, carried our sorrows, it means he took them up. And that's precisely why the suffering ser- why he is called the suffering servant, because he has taken on himself the load of the, the people's sins and guilt. When we read in the book of Romans that the payment or the wages of sin is death, that's the load that Christ bore. Jesus put an end to our sorrows and our grief and our guilt and to eternal death and to spiritual death by being our substitutes. He stood in our place. That's why in our scripture reading from today from Leviticus, that's what it illustrated. The high priest symbolically placed the burden of sin on the scapegoat and it was released from the camp on the day of atonement. Christian, Jesus took all the guilt for your sin. All the guilt for your sin was placed on his shoulders. And he can handle it. So when you confess your repeated sin of anger or lust or unbelief or gossip or fill in the blank with whatever your repeated sin is, you can absolutely be assured that your guilt has been placed on Jesus and therefore you don't have to wallow in that guilt any longer. He bore all your griefs. He carried all your sorrows. Jesus paid it all. There is hope for you. This is one of the reasons that each Lord's Day in our order of service, there is a hymn or a scripture or some element of the service that's labeled assurance of pardon. Living the gospel in your post-salvation days means that you rest in the assurance that Christ bore your guilt so that you don't have to. The juxtaposition of, of he and us through this passage, it's phenomenal. He burdened himself up with our problems. Man, I don't want to, to, to bear the weight of your problems. I might want your riches, or I might want your fame, or I might want your good looks, depending. But I don't want your problems. I don't want to have to bear the weight of, of your burdens, of, your, of the guilt of your sin. This is what Jesus has taken on himself. The hymn writer got it right. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. And he suffered and he died alone. Only Jesus, only the suffering servants could bear that weight. Moms, when you hit the boiling point and you explode with sinful anger at your kids, confess your sin to them and to God, but then don't wallow in your guilt about your sin. Jesus already did that for you. He bears that burden now for you. Friend, when you plunge into the evil of pornography and God in his his wonderful grace convicts you. Confess your sin to God. Repent of your sin. Lament your foolish and sinful choices. Make a plan for your future. Get some accountability. But then be reminded 
that Jesus bore the burden of your guilt so that you no longer have to. There is an assurance of your pardon. Christian, the grief and sorrows of your sin were loaded onto the suffering servants. That is guilt that you never have to carry. Isaiah goes on with the load that was placed on the suffering servant. And as he prophesies about Israel's repentance and acknowledgement of the suffering servant, he first reminds us that at the time of Christ's life and death, Israel did not look on Christ as being successful in his mission. At that point, they esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. They considered him to be punished by God. They despised him because he, he did not meet their expectations of what a Messiah was supposed to look like or what a Messiah was supposed to accomplish with his career. Mark 15 reminds us or tells us about walkers by that wagged their fingers and shook their heads at Christ as he hung on the cross. But it wouldn't be fair to limit this condescending attitude, this condescending tone that Christ also bore. It wouldn't be fair to limit that attitude to the Jewish people now, would it? We ourselves have had that same very attitude, that same very attitude at one point. Before we repented, we too scoffed the sufferings of Christ. We regarded him as punished or abandoned by God for something that Christ had done. He made our burdens his, and yet we considered him to be deserving of the judgments and the humiliation that was put upon him. That's the condescending attitude of an unbeliever. In fact, maybe you are doing that even yet today. Friend, would you see that Christ was successful? He even bore the burden of your condescending and arrogant attitude that somehow he was deserving of what he experienced. That he was a failure in his mission. And do you believe that he was success, a successful suffering servant? But the burden goes on. There was a physical burden as well that he carried. He was wounded and he was bruised. We won't go into quite as much detail on the physical torment of Christ because we've done that earlier in our study. However, you should know that these, these two words, wounded and bruised, these are some of the strongest words in the original language to describe the violence and painful death of Christ. He was pierced through. He was wounded to death. He was bruised. He was formally chastised, punished, and marked with stripes for our willful rebellion. For our iniquities. Iniquities refers to the, the perverseness of the human nature. Because we had sinned, he was pierced through unto death. We are deserving of the beating. We are deserving of the whipping. We are deserving of, of the nails and the, and the wrists, the dehydration, the public nakedness, the suffocation, and the death. He was burdened with emotional and spiritual loads of our griefs and sorrows, the wages of our sins. He was burdened with physical torture, pierced through, crushed. But also we see in verse 6 the breadth of this burden that he bore. All we like sheep, have gone astray. Every single one of his created human beings, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. You remember that sheep are stupid animals. 
sheep are known for wandering away and putting themselves at risk. They are defenseless against the enemy. They need help. When we have children, it's usually all snuggles and giggles for the first few weeks or the first few months. And then there is an aha moment, and suddenly you realize that this little person needs constant care. They need continual care. But eventually, children care for themselves. They learn how to get dressed by themselves and go to school and get a job and move out. And eventually, they don't need constant care. Philip Keller, in his book, he put it this way, Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require endless attention, meticulous care. So it is no accident that God has, call, has chosen to call us sheep. That's you and me. We are prone to wonder, to put ourselves at risk. We are all high-maintenance children of God. We need endless attention. We need constant help. And just like sheep, we move away from the one who has provided care for us. All of us are sinful. Each of us has broken the law of God. Each of us has turned our own way. John MacArthur put it this way, the real problem is who we are. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. The problem is, who, is with who we are. We are sinners. So the breadth of this burden, he, he, that's the load that he carried. All these sinners... All these sinners would trust in his payment. He carried the grief and the sorrows, the guilt and the, the eternal punishment, not just of your sin or of your sin. He was carrying the load of all these sheep who had gone astray. The breadth of his burden. Friend, do not wait to a future date to recognize the burden that he bore for you. See today, acknowledge today, remember today that Christ was weighed down with a load of your griefs, your guilt, your sorrows, your condescending attitude. See today that Christ was wounded and bruised for your sins. Remember today that you went astray, that you chose the path of sin, and that you turned to your own way. You have gone astray. The healing that you need and the peace that you want are only available through the suffering servant of the Lord. He was successful as he was a burden substitute. Secondly, we see he was successful as a complete substitute. He made, uh, he made us whole again. Jesus served as a substitute in order to make us complete. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the founder and the completer, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Isaiah teaches us that, that through Christ we gain both peace and healing. Verse number 5 tells us. Peace comes through his chastisement or his discipline. It's shalom. It's the, it's the removal of enmity between God and man. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we were reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And then back in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just peace, but there's also healing. Our sickness is, is worse than cancer. It's the depravity of our soul that we're talking about. Our healing is necessary because we've been separated from God because of our sin, filled with grief and sorrow. 
The suffering servant gives healing that brings release from the bondage of sin. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he might, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So he took what was dead and he healed us. He made us alive again. Jesus dealt with every blight and sorrow. He was not only burdened with the weight of every grief and sorrow and transgression, but he also successfully dealt with each of those to heal us and to give us peace again. The servant stepped up because we had no opportunity of peace. We had no opportunity of healing apart from his intervention. We had no way back to God unless Christ did something. Christian, every single time that you are tempted to sin, you don't have to. You don't have to give in to, to sinful temptation. And the reason that you don't have to give in to, to temptation is because Christ has already met that temptation. He has already paid and provided healing. He has broken the bond, your bondage to sin. We're reminded of the hymn text again. When Satan tempts me to despair, and he tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Christian, you have peace with God. You have healing. You have been made whole by the suffering servant. So choose out of gratitude the path of righteousness. Precisely because Christ has made you whole, live a life of obedience and thanksgiving to God. You have gone astray. The healing that you need and the peace that you want are only available through the suffering servant of the Lord. He has been burdened for you. He has been weighed down. He has provided a complete substitute for you. Thirdly, the suffering servant is successful because he is the chosen substitute. Verse number six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's a lot of bad news in verses 4 through 6. There's a lot of darkness. It lays out so specifically the burden that Christ bore for us. But here's the really good news. The Lord laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. One commentator said it this way, the iniquity of which we are guilty does not come back to us to meet and strike us as we might rightly expect, but rather strikes the suffering servant in our stead. The guilt that belongs to us, God caused to strike Christ. The shepherd has given his life for the sheep. It's important that we remember on this Lord's Day that sin didn't kill Jesus. God did. God the Father gave out punishment on His Son for sins that others committed. For our sake, God made Him to be sin, Him who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so as Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He does not deal with us now according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. God the Father chose God the Son. The Son is not the Father. God the Father chose God the Son to lay our iniquities on Him. There's not a simple way to wrap your mind around all of that. It takes time to consider. It takes time to think. We will do that as we come to the table. 
But meditate on that thought throughout this week regularly. It will do your hearts good. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Martin Luther said it succinctly this way. We all walk around with his nails in our pockets. The nails that crucified Christ are jingling in our pockets. The Lord laid on him our iniquity. An Armenian immigrant can teach a powerful lesson to his son about sin. He can even serve as a substitute and bear some of the penalty for that sin. But no mere human can bear the full penalty of our sin. No mere human can bring us eternal peace and complete spiritual healing. It would take someone greater. It would require that the only Son of the living God to be afflicted. Our sin would require the suffering servant to be wounded and to be bruised. Our going astray like sheep would only be remedied by Jehovah God laying on Christ the iniquity of us all. If you have never accepted this truth, if you have questions about how an eternal God could possibly do that, or if you do not understand how the suffering servant's payment could bring you peace and healing, please reach out to one of us after the service, and we will be glad to show you from God's Word what it means to have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Christian, as you consider your own response to these three verses, see that you are called to, to lament any current condescending attitude that you would have about Christ. See that you are called to be assured that Christ has adequately and completely borne the burden of your guilt and of your sins and your sorrows. And then live with obedience to God. Don't live out of, in obedience to God out of some sort of, of guilt, but out of thanksgiving for His choice, His gracious choice to lay on Christ the payments the penalty for your iniquity. Before Jesus went to the cross, he instructed his disciples to, to do something in remembrance of him, of what he was going to do, accomplish on the cross. He established a practice for his followers. We call it the Lord's Supper or communion. And Jesus would know that like we, like sheep, would go astray. We would need reminded of what he accomplished for us as our successful substitute. So now we do this in remembrance of him. I'm going to ask the men who are, or who are serving the elements this morning to come, please take your place on the front row.